0: Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are some of the opening words of 2 Timothy. We already heard them once in the service, but we hear them again because of their good news, They're good greeting words. And if you've been following along in our reading plan, uh, we've just read 1 and 2 Timothy. If you haven't been following along in the reading plan, or you're unfamiliar with what it is, uh, we've been reading one chapter every day, five chapters a week, all year. And so far this year, we've gone through the Gospels. We've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've recounted the story of Jesus and his good news. And we've gone through several epistles, several letters, written to specific churches at specific times, but good words nonetheless. We've read the letters that were written to the Church of Rome, to Corinth, to Galatia, to Ephesus, to Philippi, to Colossae, to Thessalonica. And it's easy to take away from these letters because they're written to a general church. So it's easy for us to just fit in, right? To hear the words and say, yeah, that was written to a church at one point. I'm part of a church. And so these words are for me, which is true. But then we get to first and second Timothy. And it feels a little bit different, doesn't it? it? Feels maybe a little bit more personal, a little bit more intimate. And that's because it is. It's written from the Apostle Paul, to Timothy. We're literally reading somebody's mail when we read this book. We are digging in, and you know, I was thinking, like, how how obtrusive it is to read somebody's mail. In fact, to prepare for this, I stopped by Casey's house, and I got some of his mail, and we're going to read it together. So, just kidding, this is mine. (laughs) That is not Casey's, but could be fun. Uh, But, but, Hear this, even though it feels maybe like we're prying into a private conversation. These words have been preserved in our Bible, and they're good words for us today. And maybe to help you engage in the reading, engage in the story a little bit better, consider it like this. These words, while written from Paul to Timothy, are written from a mature Christian to a Christian who's young and who's ready for ministry. In fact, it's a place that we've all been if we're not there right now. So read these words, hear these words as if they're being said to you. Absolutely contextualize the specific situations, the specific places, but know that these words are good words for us today. So, we're going to spend time reading from the book of 2 Timothy together, the letter from Paul to Timothy. And here's the situation we've got to understand the context of this work in order to fully be able to engage in what it's saying. Timothy is young, like we said, he's working in Ephesus. So, you know, the book of Ephesians, that's where Timothy is. In the Apostle Paul, this is his final letter. It's his last letter. We know that Paul is writing from jail, perhaps on house arrest. But we know that things are not going well in his trial. We know that Paul is nearing the time uh, where his life will be soon ending. And he's giving instruction for Timothy. I mean, we see all kinds of things in this letter, right? Like we see the love that Paul has for Timothy, We see Paul calling Timothy to totally take up his calling as a leader in the church. We see Paul giving instruction on how to deal with corrupt teachers that are still causing problems in Ephesus. We see Paul calling Timothy to specific acts of ministry that are really applicable to us here now. And we even get a glimpse into the personal life of Paul. Bring my coat. Say hello to this person, right? We see some housekeeping being done. And while I was reading this letter, 2 Timothy, again, as I was preparing for the sermon, a few things became evident for me. One, you don't need me to gain and glean knowledge about Jesus from reading this letter. You can do that on your own. Paul's words speak for themselves. Furthermore, as I was praying, this is a hard text to preach from, I think. I think but I was praying a lot about, like, God, what do you want me to share? What do you want me to pull from this text that we've just read as a congregation and share to edify, to build up our congregation here? And the more I prayed, the more a specific couple of verses, two verses, began to come into focus. And even more so than these verses, a specific phrase started to become clearer. And it's this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, where Paul writes this to Timothy. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all of those, us, who have longed for his appearing. With that, let's pray as we begin our time of hearing from the word. God, we, we praise you that you continue to reveal yourself to us in new and fresh ways. God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your your Bible that you've given us. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you that you have never left us. So God, by the power of your spirit, would you shape us? Would you mold us? Would you change us as we hear your words, words that have been preserved for so long, God? And would you help us to better live for you, to better live like you? We offer ourselves to you. We offer this time to you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Keep the faith. That's the phrase. Keep the faith. Say, say it aloud. Keep the faith. Yeah. Keep the faith. But what does this mean? Paul says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have have kept the faith. And we're called to keep the faith as well. In fact, faithfulness is kind of running through the entire book of 2 Timothy. But what does this mean, keep the faith? Well, it's easy for us just to say, oh yeah, keep the faith. Yeah, we know what that means, but do we? It's kind of hard to define faith if you really have to do it. It's a little bit of Christianese, right? We say it a lot, but we don't actually know what it means. So I turn back to the original Greek And here's what I found. The word that translates into faith in the original Greek gives us a sense of proof or a pledge, a guarantee. So hear this. This pledge that Paul is making is entirely based on the hope that Jesus Christ did in fact raise from the dead and has sent his spirit to live with us now. When Paul says, I've kept the faith, he says, I have kept my pledge to be a servant of Christ. And that's what he's calling us to do as well. Keep the faith. But how do we do this? What does this look like? Well, if we take a step back from the reading, if we read the book, the the letter of 2 Timothy, from maybe a step back and look at it as a whole, a few themes start to surface. A few ideas about what it looks like to keep the faith. A few realities about keeping the faith start to show themselves. And the first is this. Jesus is everything. Keep the faith. Jesus is everything. Everything. The striking reality that Jesus is the giver of life, full life, true life, real life, is made known in the very first verse of this text. Remember Paul's situation. He knows that death is coming really soon. He knows that his time is limited. And he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, his hope was so securely founded in Jesus that even when staring death in the face, he starts his letter to Timothy by acknowledging that Christ is the giver of life. We have to surrender absolutely everything to Jesus if we are truly going to keep the faith. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Do we mean it when we say it? We sing songs like, I surrender all. All praise, all glory to you, God. But do we mean it? It's easy to say yes. I feel some apathy. I feel like this last year has totally changed what we think and do with our faith. Right? We've held on to so many things like we have control, but... Last year, when all of that was stripped from us, we realized very quickly that a lot of that was an illusion. And we were saying we're the God of our lives, but all of a sudden, our life was in chaos. And we said, if we're not the God, who is? Spoiler alert, Jesus is. I felt a little bit of apathy do we really mean it? It's easy for us to come to church and say, yes, Jesus is everything, and then go home and do whatever we want. It's easy to give God certain parts of our lives and say, Jesus is everything, but we keep certain parts hidden back. Maybe that's you, maybe that's not. But the beautiful thing is when we give our lives completely to Christ Jesus, whenever We keep the faith when Jesus is everything. Suddenly, the fruit of the spirit begin to blossom in our lives. We begin to be people of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We get to do amazing things on behalf of God, to the glory of God, when we surrender all of ourselves to him. And all of this is based on the, the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? The cross is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Our sins are nailed to that cross, and for that I praise God. But Christian hope has always been centered on the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered pain and suffering and sorrow, and he rose. And it's in this resurrection that Paul writes, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. He says this in a poem If we died with him, Jesus, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. The Bible Project explains what this poem means. They say it like this. God's love for our world has opened up a new hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For those who will take the risk of trusting and following Jesus, God promises vindication and life. For those who reject him, God will honor that decision and do the same. But people's faithlessness will never cause God to abandon his faithfulness. Our faithlessness will not change the character of God. So Paul calls on Timothy, calls us, us in this room, to be faithful, to keep the faith. We know that it comes with a cost. So church, the first main idea is this. Keep the faith. And in order to keep the faith, that means Jesus has to be everything. The second idea, when we look at the book of 2 Timothy from from a 10-foot view, is that we don't do this alone. When we keep the faith, we do this together. We live life. We are Christians together. I mean, we see this exemplified all the way through this letter. First, in the relationship that Paul and Timothy have, that's a beautiful, beautiful relationship, right? Mentor to mentee. Paul dearly loves Timothy and is excited to pass on everything that the Lord has done to Timothy. We need relationships like this. They're doing this together because while we like to make our faith so personal, and and there is a personal aspect of our faith The reality is that scripture reminds us time and time and time and time again that when we keep the faith, when Jesus becomes everything in our life, absolutely everything, suddenly our faith becomes a whole lot less personal and a whole lot more communal. Suddenly the people in this room, the people lifting high the name of Jesus all over the world, become a part of our story by the power of the Spirit. And that's good news. We were not designed to be on our own. When we keep the faith, when we give Jesus everything, we start walking in step with other Christians. Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith to Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul's writing about this mentorship that's happened from from Timothy's mother and his grandmother, generations pouring into one another as they build one another up in faith. Paul clearly has a great network of people. Chapter 4, verses 19 through 22, greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Oniferous, and it goes on and on. Greet this person, greet this person, greet this person. When we are fully in Christ, when we do keep the faith, when we keep our pledge to Jesus that we will give him everything, suddenly we do this together, not alone. We need each other. I need all of you in my life. I hope you know that. I need you all. I'm not going to pretend that unity is easy, but it's worth it. It's painful. It's hard. It's messy. It takes work, but it is worth it. And it's what we're called to do. Here's, here's the, real, uh, the real story here. You all have affected me so much. in Beautiful ways. The way I've seen your faith play out has shaped me, has helped mature me has helped grow me closer towards Christ. I hope you know that. I feel like sometimes it just feels like we know each other on a surface level, and I would love to get to know each of you more. But the stories that you share, the greetings that you share with me, the encouragement that you share truly has an effect on my life. And my prayer and my hope is that I'm not the only one that gets to experience that goodness. In fact, everybody in second service needs to experience the goodness and the richness that you all bring to their lives, to my life, and vice versa. I'm going to tell them the exact same thing. You need them. We need to grow together. And I'm not naive. I'm not naive in thinking that Changes towards unity are just going to go smoothly, but I'm excited for the conversations that we're going to have. I'm excited to grow together and to work towards this together because, friends, it is so worth it. And I'm excited for the ways that Mount Pulaski Christian Church can truly be the absolute healthiest it can be. But in order for that to happen, we all have to be together. And that happens by keeping the faith. That happens by keeping the faith. But unifying the services isn't the magic bullet to unifying us, right? That takes work from us on an individual level. And here are some practical ways that we can exemplify that, that we can keep the faith by living in step with one another. When there's somebody new here sitting by themselves, we can talk to them. We can sit with them. We can invite them to lunch. We can deepen our relationships with one another, take our our relationships with one another from a mundane level and amplify them to a deep and rich level. It doesn't have to stay just inside these walls. This unity can be built outside the walls too, right? We need to be spending time with one another. We need to be messaging one another over texts or emails or Facebook. We need to be in constant communication with one another. We need to be serving one another, whether that be something here in the church, in the nursery, doing donuts, communion, serving here, or serving each other to make sure that everybody's lives are a taste of heaven here and now. We need these relationships. We need to be keeping Jesus at the forefront of our conversations and the work that the Spirit is doing in our lives. It means living in a way that Paul calls Timothy to live. That sets us apart from the world. When we keep the faith, we give Jesus absolutely everything, and we do this not alone but together. And finally, A reality of keeping the faith is that it won't always be easy. Hardship and suffering are an inherent part of the Christian life. And this is why Christ's resurrection is the foundation for Christian hope. Think about this. Paul is literally in prison when he's writing these things. But he writes this, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, does not give us a spirit of fear, but gives us power, love, self-discipline, so not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, or of me as his prisoner. Rather, join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Join in the suffering. What? He goes on to say in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I don't want to give us a a persecution complex, right? Things in our country are crazy, but we still have it really good. Think about persecution here versus persecution for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Things look different, right? But when we keep the faith, when we give everything to Jesus— we can be assured that suffering and persecution are a part of that work. And it's only with the hope and foundation of Jesus, and it's only when we are completely united to one another, that we can make it through these hard times. Suffering. So I end with this. When we're on our last breath, When we're giving the words, uh, the last words at the end of our time here on earth to those that we have spurred on, to our Timothys, will we be able to echo the words of Paul individually, on a group level? Will we be able to say we kept the faith? I hope so. I pray so. I will fight and I will work and I will move towards that. So church, let's keep the faith. Let's give Jesus everything. Let's do this together. Let's be prepared in the hope of Jesus Christ for hardships, for suffering, for persecution. But does this seem daunting or overwhelming? Does this seem like something that's beyond your capabilities? Do you feel like you're not worthy? Because here's some truth for you. You are. You are loved by Jesus. You are loved by Jesus and you are called to do good works in his name to build heaven here on earth. And I know that you are called into this story just as much as anybody else in the scriptures. The scriptures are full of stories of nobodies who have kept the faith in God and God has done miraculous things through them. Joseph, Joseph is a broken man who kept the faith that his family was brought to a place of power in Egypt and spared from famine. Moses, Moses was broken. He was a sinful person, but he kept the faith and the people of Israel were released from slavery. Sarah kept the faith and was blessed with children when she was too old and barren and God was glorified through Sarah. Joshua kept the faith and the walls of Jericho were brought down. David kept the faith and in the face of certain doom against the enemies of Goliath and kings and oppressors, God was glorified. Esther kept the faith and spoke out about it when it could have cost her her life. Nehemiah kept the faith and the wall was built. Peter kept the faith and water was walked on. The woman with the bleeding kept her faith and she was healed when she touched the hem of Jesus' robes and Jesus kept faith in the Father as he went to the cross. He was crucified on behalf of you and behalf of me. He was buried, he rose again, and he lives on in victory, conquering hell, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering suffering and pain and sorrow. And he outshines the darkest days of our lives. And the beautiful thing is is that the scriptures tell us that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you and lives in me. And because of that spirit, we can keep the faith. We can give Jesus everything. We can be united with one another. And we have solid foundation with each other when hardship comes. So my question to you, to me, To us as a church, Mount Pulaski Christian Church, will we keep the faith? Let's pray. God, we seek to honor you. We seek to give you everything. We seek uh, to glorify you in all that we do. So God, help us release control where we need to release control. Help us to follow Paul's example to truly keep our pledge to you that we will be your children. Help us to be united with one another, to serve your community well. Help us to stay strong in the midst of strife and trouble. God, we love you and we praise you for being with us. And It's in the name of Jesus, by the power of his spirit, to the glory of you, Father, that we pray these things. Amen.